Hi, this is Courtney Swan, and today we'll be mapping fake meat on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the Functional Matrix. The Functional Nutrition Matrix reminds us of three very important factors in our clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Courtney Swan. Courtney is a real food activist on a mission to change America's broken food system. Courtney has her Master's of Science in Nutrition and Integrative Health. She's the creator behind the popular Instagram account, Real Foodology, and is the host of the Real Foodology podcast. Courtney, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much, Andrea. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I'd love that you're a real food activist and you speak so passionately into America's broken food system. And I'm wondering, Courtney, if you'd be willing to kick us off by, I guess, how you define real food. Yeah, I think we've really overcomplicated it in our modern world. Real food is just food that our grandparents would recognize as food. It's whole real foods in their natural state as we would find them growing in nature. There's also a saying that I like to reference a lot is that if it was once alive, it's considered to be real food because you can apply that to plants and also animals. So that's how I define real food. Yeah. And there's been a succession of a shift away from real foods. And I'm wondering if you can speak into that from your vantage point. What does this look like over time? And are we different in America than in other places around the world? We are definitely, I would say, at the top of this right now, us in Australia. And I believe that Canada is coming up behind us. But We're all in this modern world really struggling with processed foods. America's definitely spearheading it right now. And a lot of countries were starting to look to us for food production and for inspiration. But places like Europe, and I know smaller countries like Sweden and Norway and Denmark, their government really takes care of their people. They're so on top of the ingredients. I know a lot of the U.S. foods that are imported into other countries are not legally allowed in these countries, or if they are these companies are notoriously changing their ingredient labels. So for example, Kraft macaroni and cheese in the UK, they use things like turmeric, paprika to color the Kraft macaroni and cheese. Whereas here we use red 40, yellow number five, all of these artificial dyes that in other countries, they're recognizing these dyes as not only detrimental to our health, but it's creating hyperactivity in children. And so it's kind of a free for all with our food here in this country. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to a podcast with Marion Nessel last week and, you know, she's sort of one of the grandmothers of food politics, right? And having this conversation and she was pointing out how 
different it is in other countries and how we define quote unquote healthy here from an even FDA perspective now that the FDA is getting involved, which is kind of humorous because there is a lot of lobbying that allows for these fake foods, as we'll be talking about, to be on the market because it's business. It's not about health. Yes. So this is my biggest pet peeve about our food industry is that we allow this lobbying to happen. So there's misleading labeling happening. People don't even realize the billions of dollars behind these marketing ad campaigns. For example, about fake meats, which I really want to get into. Studies that are funded by the very companies that have all the money to gain. So for example, like Coca-Cola, they're notoriously known for funding a study that they came to the conclusion that drinking sugary drinks don't contribute to obesity. (laughs) And it was funded by Coca-Cola. And this is happening all the time. We just have lobbying happening in Washington and they're completely misguiding the public. And the general public doesn't realize that they're being swayed by these large marketing budgets. People believe that just because it's on the shelves that it couldn't be bad for us, but this could not be further from the truth. There's no real regulation around that. And there's no regulation around this lobbying that's happening. Yeah, I hear your passion there, Courtney, and it's so important. And let's dive into the fake meats. What does that even mean? What is a fake meat? Okay, so there's this trend right now that we are vilifying foods that we have eaten for hundreds of years and trying to place blame on them for these chronic modern diseases that we're dealing with. And one of them is red meat. And I feel like there's a huge marketing campaign right now against red meat, trying to convince the general public that it's really unhealthy for us. And then as a result, because red meat is quote unquote bad, then enter in the fake meats. And they're creating this narrative that these fake meats are better for the environment, they're better for our health, but this could not be further from the truth. It's so ironic what's happening right now because these fake meats are full of the very mono crops that are contributing to climate change and contributing to the degradation of our soil, corn, soy, canola oil. And then not to mention all of these ingredients, they don't have our health in mind. They're incredibly inflammatory. They're highly processed. A lot of them are genetically modified. So the proteins are not even being recognized in our body, not to mention these proteins are not bioavailable for our body in the same way that red meat is. And so we're being sold this lie that these fake meats are better for the environment. They're better for the health. They're better for the health of the animals. And this could not be further from the truth. Yeah, that's so important. And a lot of these fake meats, like you said, they contain things that are highly inflammatory, whether that's corn or soy, and then the actual farming of those products to be changed into something that they're not even takes it further away from their origins. I'm sure they're coming from farming or most of the time coming from farming practices that aren't actually eco-friendly. And they tend to also have a lot of ingredients and fillers that are making up for the nutritional profile. At least that's what I've seen when I've looked at these and it's been a while. So do I have that right? Yes. Not to mention they're very carbohydrate heavy. And we are already eating, in my opinion, too many grains and carbohydrates. I'm not here to vilify carbohydrates by any means, but we need to be focused on more high quality proteins so that we can build more lean muscle and also good high quality fats. Fat has been vilified for so long as well. And then we have these fake meats that are very carbohydrate rich. They are also full of so many filler ingredients that really have no impact on our health whatsoever. Or they have an, a negative impact on our health. They're not nourishing in any way. 
and they're incredibly carbohydrate heavy. And we're replacing this really high quality, high protein burger with this carbohydrate rich fake meat. There's such a spectrum of food and we're not typically having those conversations. Like we can certainly look at the quality of red meat and where it can be inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. And then we get further away from it into these fake meats that are loaded, not just with carbohydrates, but all these fillers and potentially allergenic foods. What are we seeing as a result? What connections are you making to what's going on in the bodies of the people who are consuming these fake meats as a culture? Yeah, well, we've come to a place in society where we are normalizing fatigue, chronic illness. We're normalizing being a certain level of sick now. And I think we've redefined what it means to be truly healthy. And I don't think that many people really understand what it means to be really healthy in their bodies anymore. And And I say all of this with compassion and I don't place any blame on anyone. I believe the blame is on our government and on these large marketing campaigns and these food companies that are not being held accountable. But unfortunately, the majority of the population is sick. There was a a recent study that came out that only 12% of our population is considered to be metabolically healthy. And it may even be lower than that. And what is so crazy is people do not even know this because we have normalized fatigue, all these chronic illnesses, like I was saying, autoimmune disorders, rashes, like eczema and psoriasis. Like we just act like these are just normal parts of everyday life and, you know, joint pain, arthritis, inflammation. We are seeing it on such a chronic level right now. Our obesity levels are rising like crazy right now. Diabetes, diabetes too is being diagnosed at such horrifying levels in this country right now. And we're not holding the companies accountable that need to be held accountable. There's a lot of things that happened in a very small window of time. The first thing really would be that in the 1970s, there was a Harvard study done. And what these scientists found was that it was actually sugar that was contributing to heart disease. And the sugar industry got wind of this and they paid off these scientists to come out and say that it was fat. So this cue, the whole low fat movement. And to this day, we are still dealing with the detrimental effects of that. We still have people that believe that low fat diets are healthy for us. It is mind boggling to me that we are still in this place. And, you know, as a result of this, what did companies do when they took the fat out of their food? They replaced it with sugar because fat creates that mouthfeel. It makes food taste really good. And so they needed something to replace the fat with. So they replaced it with sugar because that also makes food taste really good. And then also, I think there is element of, they realize that it makes these foods more addictive. And now as a result, sugar is in everything. Salad dressings, hot sauce, beef jerky, non-dairy milks, pasta sauce, like places that it really shouldn't be. Whereas before, sugar was more reserved for, oh, I'm going to have this treat after dinner. I'm going to have a cookie. But now if you just sit down and have a, a normal meal, you know, a pasta sauce, or maybe you have like a a sandwich and it has loads of bread and then you have a salad and has sugar in that salad dressing. And so that is part of it. We also are eating so many seed oils. I listened to a podcast yesterday where the interviewer asked the guest, he was like, is there any history of populations living healthy and living off of seed oils? And he said, that was such a great question. No, we are right now experimenting with our own health and our own bodies because we've never consumed seed oils like this, especially at such a massive scale. So what are seed oils for people listening that don't know? Canola oil, sunflower oil, soybean, safflower, 
these are all higher in omega-6s and lower in omega-3s, so they lead to inflammation. And all the restaurants are cooking with them now. You can basically assume when you go to a restaurant that they are cooking with canola oil or sunflower or something like that. So we replaced all the healthy fats, which were tallow, butter, and then we replaced them with these canola and seed oils, which is leading to inflammation. So there's that happening. People are not as satisfied anymore because we went on these low-fat diets and we replaced them with sugar. So that's going to raise your blood glucose levels and then you're going to crash and then your body's going to look for more energy and want more sugar. So more sugar, more carbohydrates. We also got the food pyramid really wrong. We need to switch it and turn it upside down. For some reason, our government decided that it was a good idea to tell us that we needed six servings of bread and grains a day, which is absolutely insane. So that's happening. I do believe also this replacement of more plant-based food items and taking out the high-quality proteins and high-quality meats, which lead to satiety, I think that's causing a huge issue right now. And pesticides. We started using pesticides. I don't know the exact time frame. I believe it was around the 60s after the war. And ever since then, we have just seen an uptick in the amount of pesticides that we are using. And we know now that these are obesogens because they are endocrine disrupting. So they're messing with our hormones and how our hormones run. And we know that our endocrine system is everything. It regulates our entire body. And if our endocrine system is out of order, our hormones are not working effectively. Our body is not going to be in tune and working as effectively. And as a result, we're ripe for disease. Yeah. So much important information that you're sharing. And I'm making a list of all the podcasts I want to put in the show notes that we've done in the past, including obesogens and regenerative farming and really thinking about nutrient density versus nutrient deficiencies. But you're linking it back to the way that we're eating. And we can't even tell what's going on in the body when it's so crowded or cloudy with all these different foods, food substances. They're not necessarily even foods, but they're things that we're bringing in as fillers, as processed foods, not as whole foods. And it's hard to even tell. But one question I have, Courtney, is about the socioeconomic impact of this, given that these are the foods some of them anyway, that may be more affordable. And so the ways we're talking about the government getting involved in our foodstuffs really impacts certain parts of the population more than others because of economic resources. So how do we tackle it on an individual basis? I know there's a lot to tackle from a policy basis, but how do we tackle this on an individual basis? Yeah. I mean, I believe that it's multifaceted. And first, I want to say something to what you said right before that question. And this is a huge part of the problem is that we have lost our intuition, our innate knowing what our bodies need in order to fuel our bodies. I mean, we have been around for (laughs) hundreds of years as humans, and we have gotten out of touch with that innate biology that's in all of us that guides us and really leads us to eat what our bodies were intended to eat. So that is a huge problem. And it's because our palates are being blinded by these highly palatable food-like products that create certain chemicals in our brain. There's this bliss point that the food industry always talks about, where it's this point where you cannot stop eating the food. It's that perfect trifecta of the fat, sweet, and salt. 
it completely overrides our innate intuition and our biology. So I feel like it was really important to say that as far as a socioeconomic lens, it's multifaceted. I believe that, well, first of all, we need to hold our leaders in Congress accountable and we need to be voting for people that are actually on our side and are fighting for policies that don't allow these food companies to completely take advantage of us and just put these foods on the shelves that have no health in mind for the population. So there's an element of that, really putting your money where your mouth is, going to farmer's markets where you can actually meet the farmers, meet the people that are growing your food, and you can support them. And I realize everyone has different budgets. So I really see this as everyone does their part in the ways that they can, either the ways that they are able to show up financially or the way that they are able to show up with their time and activism ways, the way that they are able to support the farmers and support the companies that are actually doing it the right way. And also a lot of it takes education because I really believe that the majority of people really want to be healthy. They want to be thriving in their bodies. They want to have energy every day. They want to feel good. But a lot of people really don't understand what is happening at such a deep level. And so I do believe a lot of it takes education because once we're aware of what's happening, then we have informed consent and we're able to make better decisions. And a lot of it takes reprioritizing what's important to you. So that may look like not eating out four times a week, not postmating anymore and saving that budget for the farmer's market or saving it for Trader Joe's and buying the produce and buying the whole real foods instead of eating out all the time. Yeah. And I think at a client or clinician level, I love what you're saying, Courtney. And I think education with our clients and patients is really critical and bringing the empathy for why they're making the decisions they are and understanding that we may not be able to bring somebody into our ideal of eating, but how do we step-by-step, meal-by-meal help them to see where there's an alternate choice that actually isn't cost them more money. And that takes education and patience and empathy as people who are sitting in clinical situations. And one of the things that I see and I fear is that we come from these idealistic views as clinicians that don't allow us to walk people forward. And that's really off-putting. And so this comes back to, as you were saying, Courtney, education. Before I let you go, and I love your passion, and I can't wait to direct everybody over to your site and your podcast, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you just feel like in this moment you have to shout from the rooftops? Well, I kind of just want to add on to what you were saying, because I really, I think this is such an important component of it. There's such a stigma when it comes with healthy eating that it's elitist and inaccessible and only a certain level of person or of financial status can get there. And while there is a lot of hurdles, especially right now, we make it so hard in this country to eat healthy. We really do. So I want to acknowledge that and also give people compassion that maybe are on this journey or people that are helping people on this journey to remember that and to bring kindness back into it because you're right. Like a lot of people really don't understand what's happening here. And I said this earlier, I see this as a fundamental issue with what's happening with our food industry. And there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of marketing budgets involved. I don't want to place blame on the individual. While there is a certain level of 
the individual needing to have that desire to get healthy. And there are certain things that they'll have to do that are harder than just, you know, going through the drive-through. And I want to acknowledge that as well, but there is a level of, it really is hard in this country and it's not always accessible for people. And there are food deserts and we make it incredibly hard. And so I just want to acknowledge that, that it's not easy, but it's worth it. Yeah. Beautiful. So well said. Courtney, thank you for sharing your passion with us today and your wisdom. I really appreciate this time with you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks go out to Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, Sandra Brower, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, and Rowan Bradley for their support making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your client's issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.